everyone. Welcome to Zonan Canada. I'm your host, Jesse Betteridge. On this episode, we're going to be talking all about Animathon, which is uh, actually Canada's oldest anime convention. Before we continue, I just want to introduce our guest, and we have three this time around. Um, returning as is Aaron. Uh, Aaron, can you uh, give a quick introduction to yourself? <laughs> Hi there. Uh, my name is Aaron, otherwise known around the internet as Aaron Cerise. I'm mainly known as a anime YouTuber, I, I focus a lot on idol content and magical girl content. Uh, my current focus is Maho Profile, a history of magical girls, where I'm aiming to chronicle the magical girl genre in order of release from the 1960s to the present. A noble endeavor. Uh, just <laughs> I probably won't finish this series until I'm on my deathbed. And also joining us for the first time is two other guests. Uh, we have Ian and Brendan. Uh, can you guys uh, give a quick introduction to yourselves? Certainly. My name's Ian Horner. Uh, I am a currently a pr- uh, producer. God, no. A, I, I am what is produced at uh, Loading Ready Run. I do some podcasts and streams here. But uh, uh, being relevant to this particular conversation, I was the uh, cultural liaison officer and art director for Animathon for a number of years. And I'm Brendan Beege Deary. Uh, I'm currently the business manager for Loading Ready Run. We're actually doing this from the Loading Ready Run studios uh, in Victoria, B.C. Uh, Fancy. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> and uh, and our my involvement with Animathon uh, was as a former vice chairman and director of PR. And uh, also, Ian and I both had executive roles in the local university club that that ran Animathon for a while before it became its own entity. Mm-hmm. I have a feeling that the, the the close ties between Baca, the Bonsai Anime Club of Alberta, and uh, and Animathon are going to become very apparent. Oh yeah, absolutely. And Brendan, I, I think we will henceforth be referring to you as Beej from my. Yes, please, Jesse. Yes. I would appreciate it. <laughs> All right, Beej. Well, you're a fri- you're a friend now. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm honored. So, uh, Animathon, as I mentioned, is the oldest anime convention in Canada. And uh, actually, just to clarify, is it the first or is it just the oldest currently running ones? Do you uh, folks have any idea? So, so technically, um, oh, we're, we're, uh, we're, get, oh, we're getting into the nitty gritty here. Kind of. Ha- <laughs> okay. So, really, if you were to think about the first, it would have been a convention called Mega Ball. Right. Ooh, this right? I've never heard of. Okay. So there's Mega Ball, and then Mega Ball 2 happened the year after that. And that led to Animathon. So really? technically, Animathon is two years older than it really is. And this was all in Edmonton? This is all in Edmonton. Okay. But Mega Ball, I mean, technically, we've never counted it because it was like a completely different name. And it was more than just anime, I think, at the time. Mm-hmm. I wasn't around for it. It, it, predates me this this is something we only heard about talked about in hushed tones yeah it's like oh yeah remember megaball oh yeah let's not do that again kind of thing it it's uh we had one of those in vancouver too (laughs) oh well there you go yeah Yeah. uh and and that's the thing is it's kind of it's um the the guys who are around even before that who are part of the university of alberta cartooning club that was it animation cartooning club something like that that the U of A ACC was what eventually turned into Baca, which we mentioned earlier. Uh, so yeah, it's it's it, it's been running for a very 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 long time. And so th- so this means technically, convention activity in Edmonton for as it relates to anime goes back to 1992, because 1994 yes. was the first anime thon. Yeah, that's that I think a safe thing to right, say. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and the first anime convention in North America, the first in, like thing that was completely separated from sci-fi conventions, was um, Project Acon, 
which was in 1990. Right. Uh, I, I, okay, I think there's some so, some other some other details before that, but I think it's we, we the the consensus is that Project Acon was the first full fledged anime convention in 1990. So, and what's funny is I heard that there was a convention running that ran one time in Los Angeles. You're thinking of AnimeCon '91, and that was uh, that was co-presented by Studio Gynex, the first time oh we actually God. had yeah. a Japanese company sponsoring a convention in North America. And then the year after that, it turned into Anime Expo. Yeah. Yeah. So in that sense, sort of the beginning of this activity in Canada is not far behind the U.S. at all. Pretty much. What, what is interesting is that, you know, on this show in particular, uh, this year I've, we, we've done a lot of focus on Anime North, because I actually went to Anime North for the first time ever. Uh, this year, which I had never done before because flying from Vancouver to Toronto is prohibitively expensive. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this year and in previous years, I've talked a whole lot about anime convention scene in Vancouver. Um, now, Toronto is, you know, it's the biggest scene, of course, because it's the biggest city. Vancouver, in many ways, is, I, I would say, probably the loudest, most obnoxious one in a lot of ways. <laughs> but tell me, tell me if I'm out of line here. But in many ways... Edmonton strikes me as sort of the epicenter of a lot of anime fandom in Canada. Maybe maybe this is just my bias because I'm in Western Canada and a lot of the cons in Western Canada have followed Anime-thon as an example. But it seemed to have set a lot of the trends like starting things in a university club or, um, or just the general format or the way to run an event. So what I want to know is why Edmonton? Why has organized activity been going on so long and so consistently in Edmonton. Well, I think I think the Malcolm Gladwell answer that he sort of turns out about all of this would be that Edmonton is a very uh, cultural city. It's the cultural uh, uh, center of Western Canada with the fringe festivals and uh, and your jazz festivals, and I think also with with anime. Edmonton is also the festival city, so it kind of it kind of makes sense that that would be where it uh, it it crops up. As to why, though, I think that has a lot to do with, uh, with with the anime community in Edmonton at the time, specifically. Like I know that when we were involved in uh, in in Baca, uh, we had a lot of people who were involved in the uh, in the tape trading yeah. scene, mm-hmm. yeah, and and very high up. Like these were people who who outlaid the large amounts of cash to get laser discs and get to their uh, SVHS masters, S- SVHS masters with a flying erase head. Yeah, right. <laughs> we, we had people who were actually uh, distributing uh, brother dear brother, I think. Yeah, and it was one of the one of the few ways to get it. So having that sort of group of people who are very deep into the scene, uh, trying to uh, acting as uh, acting as uh, People, kind of a focal point. Yeah, really. a focal point and, and people who are trying to promote it as well with, with good quality and, and almost, dare I say it, professionally. And and part of that too is that uh like Animathon or might have been Mega Ball, but mm-hmm. one of the two I know, it it became a focal uh it became a focus for these people because um what I remember was the the old guard mm-hmm. from the anime uh animation cartooning club uh, going to that show in uh, in Los Angeles and getting to meet a whole bunch of people from from these different companies and it, was, and it was one of those kind of if I remember the story correctly it was you paid a few hundred dollars to get into this thing but the bulk of it was getting a chance to sit at a table with somebody who is in the industry and and a Japanese translator and getting it getting them to sign stuff for you and and they were kind of like agog at the idea that anybody would do that and so when uh, the, the the Japanese guests were mm-hmm. that anyone would want to do that in North America, 
and then the people who were down there came came back uh to Edmonton and were like, well, sh- that isn't so hard. Like we could hold the convention, couldn't mm-hmm. we? Like we could probably get that together. And so I think that's what started Mega Ball, and then that's what eventually became Animathon. Uh, was just this idea of that it isn't really that hard to just organize a thing that a bunch of people can come to in like one room. It's harder to organize an entire venue to have yes. multiple rooms and stuff, and that's when you need a big staff and a lot of people. If I can add to that, though, I think one of the biggest things that uh, that that made Animathon and uh, and most of uh, anime its success in Alberta is the large network of people that we had there that we had Anime Alberta as a uh, as a unifying factor. Yes. Uh, we and we had uh, Baca itself being a club that served not only one university in University of Alberta but also held meetings and served the population of Grant McEwen College, the second uh, large uh, university uh, population in, in Edmonton, and then also inviting people in outside of the uh, outside of the university. Uh, environment to actually be part of this club you get a much larger population and that allows you to actually support a a convention yeah we had make we had it a, success. our club like abaca at one point in the in the late 90s early 2000s was like upwards of 120 members mm-hmm. which is kind of unheard of for an anime club uh was my understanding but it was just the right moment for it because the like internet was still pretty nascent uh, tape trading was a major way to do things mm-hmm. and just having a place for, uh, we were even taking in kids who were like, uh, seniors in high school oh, yeah. who well, wanted to like come to the club and it's like, okay, it's fine. Don't screw around. You can come to the club, pay your dues, dues and do the thing. That's how I got my start. And, and then having access to this massive tape library that they have as well, which means yeah. I don't have to drive to rent tapes or spend my money to do it. Yeah. And that's kind of how I got into it later on down the line as well. Like I know that I was in, I was based in Calgary at the time and how I got drawn into the whole thing was that Anime Alberta was a strong presence in the province as far as fandom went at the time. And when I, as a nascent 14 year old was searching like, Hey, who else likes anime in Alberta? What do you think turns up when you search for that? I guess. Um, and I got pulled into the local club there, which was uh, one of the oldest anime clubs in Alberta, which was Jaws. And they had connections with Baca, with the, University Club, I think was was DOA, was it? It was DOA, yeah. Dedicated yeah. Otaku Anime. Yeah, they they basically had all these connections to all the various clubs uh, throughout Alberta, so I ended up making a lot of connections much quicker than I expected that way. And just to clarify, Anime Alberta, um, that's a website. Yes. Okay. It's so a, it, it was a well, it, it was, was a, a website anyway. Yeah. Yeah. It was a message board. Message board. Okay. Yeah. And like. Can you go in a little more detail about the relationship between Anime Alberta and Baca? Uh, so members of so members of Baca, this is mm-hmm. actually a, a thing I'm kind of proud of in a way, I guess, is that members of Baca who uh, were going on um, not sabbatical, what the hell do you call it? They're going on like co-ops. Oh yes, yeah. Yes. So while they're at university and going on co-ops, and they were like going to Calgary and stuff. Uh, uh, so as Mark Nguyen and, and Daniel Ross uh, were both down in Calgary and realized that there's an awful lot we could be sharing for information because the anime scene in Edmonton and the anime scene in Calgary is like they're both burgeoning, but it'd be really nice to have a place for people to do stuff together. Mm-hmm. And so Mark said to Dan, let's start a website where people could actually make this happen. And, and Dan is uh, a hell of a, a web guy. And he put together this website and, and, and installed the forum software and got everything rolling on that. 
mascots. And, yeah, made made mascots and made like beautiful art and stuff to kind of be like, here's this, he, here's a place for you guys to go to start organizing. And that was the really exciting thing was being able to tell people, hey, you can just go here and have conversations and we can have threads for different clubs and and we can have like their own discussions and stuff and that'll also help us organize and, and so it, it kind of did and it kind of didn't yeah. but it, but what it did it's like you start getting with those you know, those initial two clubs and then we started adding more with the University of Lethbridge later on uh oh god there was that other one that was on the page because the- it was it was Baca DOA Jaws and Jams yes. and Jams I think was the one down in in Jams 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 in Lethbridge yes I always yeah. used to get Jams and Jaws confused yeah and yeah. Augustana yeah. my club because we started to add high school clubs yeah. to this group as well. And there's like a there's a community college out in Camrose, Alberta, which is not a very big place that, that was like they want to start one too. It's like, yeah, you know what? Come on board. Like the whole point is to get people to be really excited about it. But what it means then is you also start getting people collaborating and and uh, discussing in a central forum and you can start sharing ideas and tips and volunteers. Yeah. And suddenly it makes the idea of of making all these smaller uh, clubs and smaller events work. But also it allows all these other people to get involved in the planning and working with Animathon. And that was a major thing with uh, with Mark as well, is that he really wanted to uh, help people organize uh, to try to make things happen, to try to make more cons happen, make more clubs happen. Uh, and and part of that was also this this idea of outreach, like being mm-hmm. able to come out to uh Sacricon in Seattle and reach out to them because they're, you know, the, Seattle's, you know, it's close enough. Um but also Anime Evolution which was going on in mm-hmm. um uh in in Vancouver. Uh, and reaching out to them and and trying to do more things where we would like we would travel out to see them and uh we'd be able to share information and talk to them, make friends and stuff. And it was a great way to actually meet a lot more people and make a lot more friends who were involved in this stuff. A lot of diplomacy and a lot of uh, a lot of networking going on there. Yeah. And how sorry, how when did how long had Anime Alberta been around for? God, it was only like a few years, I yeah. think, even by that point. Yeah. Like no. it it was really young. Yeah, I think it, anim- it, lo- it launched in the late nineties. Yeah, Anime Alberta yeah. is is no older than Anime Thought itself. Yeah. And I think I've- yeah, because like I mean, we're going back to 1994. We're very early days into the World Wide Web yeah. there, and yeah, and I I just find it so interesting that at that point, you know, creating a communication anime network specifically for Alberta, it you know it really goes a, a long way of showing just how much of a you sort of um unique ecosystem was going on in that province specifically. What? Um we had a very hard time too, because it's like we were trying to do Canada-wide stuff and try to work with other people in other regions. Like, are there other things we can do? Like, Dan was trying to set up a thing where it's like, let's make a Canada anime club directory or a Canada anime convention directory. Mm. And he was trying to do stuff like that, and it was hard getting buy-in or interest from from all sorts of places. So instead, it was like, you know what? We we know we have interest in Alberta, and I think that's why they did it. It's like we know a bunch of people in Alberta. We can just make it happen in Alberta. Well, I think that's part of partly due to the fact that you could end up meeting someone from this message board in real life, and you were more likely to the more mm-hmm. you actually started doing these events. Yeah. So do you think? Oh, it would let be- me just. Ju- sorry, sorry, can I just ahead. jump in go, for a moment? Go right ahead. <laughs> just confirming some dates here. I've. I've actually been like jumping into the Wayback Machine just to see like how far back the Anime Alberta domain even goes as far as their captures go. Um, and it goes back at least as far as 1999 as the earliest archived page they have on there. Oh. 
And I do want to comment on the page that is up there mm-hmm. <laughs> because the capture is a blank white page that says Anime Alberta services ended. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a message from Gabriel Hall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I have no idea what was going on at that time. It looks like major shakeup was going on then. That major was a shakeup in an a- online anime community. In the <laughs> oh, world. he's it's... never. Drama amongst the anime crowd? Holy crap. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess this is a kind of a chicken and egg situation. I'm not sure, like, it, it, was, it seems that the fact that this website was able to get off the ground, I think, to me, the impression that an uninformed person like myself, who lacks context, is getting is that the fact that this website got off the ground played a big role in unifying a bunch of stuff that otherwise would have just kind of faded away like, you know, many anime communities would have back in the 90s without, you know, any any kind of greater infrastructure. Well, especially without that sort of critical mass of just sheer people involved. Yeah, yeah it's like any good web uh, community is that being able to get a whole bunch of people involved to make it feel vibrant makes it mean that more people will be drawn to it at that point, too. Mm-hmm. And that was just, uh, that was really great. Like, it's clear that the clubs came first, the cons followed, uh, and then, I mean... Part of why OdaFest got rolling as well as it did in Calgary, Alberta, uh, was in no small part to the rivalry between Edmonton and Calgary that's always existed. <laughs> they wanted to do something as good or better than Edmonton was doing, and they wanted to try to outdo, like DOA wanted to outdo Baca, and so they got OdaFest uh, kicked up and started. And it's like OdaFest has grown to an amazing convention of its own. And there's definitely no sort of rivalry, as far as I can tell, anymore. It's just it's so good. Well, to see mostly just in things. a joking sense. I yeah, exactly. People talk about it. But yeah, I, I would say that even uh, even anime evolution, the the old anime evolution, played a part in that as well. That there was sort of a friendly rivalry amongst these uh, these west Western Canada conventions. That you know how how good can we all each make it each other? Yeah, and it helped too because I mean when I would go out to to AE uh, and meet people out there. I'd have opportunities to like meet the voice actors and stuff and, and chat with them and, and, you know, become friends with them. And the next thing you know, it's like, all right, we want to bring you guys out to Alberta at this point. We actually have a budget. We can do that. Mm-hmm. And that was, would have been very hard for me to do otherwise, but just getting a chance to like have that kind of backstage ask, access and talking to people and doing that, all that networking really helps other conventions grow. And in ter- like in terms of anime thon growing as a convention, what's always struck me as interesting is that it's called anime thon. So, in its earliest days, the impression I get is that it started more as um, just like a marathon of screening rather than something that we the, ma, ma, rather than something that matches matches the modern conception of a con, uh, of a con. Those are actually words that we spoke in meetings on a number of occasions <laughs> that we did not. We never wanted to be a quote unquote convention. We, we oh, always yeah. we we wanted to be something that was more akin to a cultural outreach. That this was a way. This was a an outreach opportunity. You you used to be able to get into Animathon by giving a donation to the food bank. I yeah, remember like, that. Prior to that, it was free. Like it was just you could come by because it was meant to be a membership drive. For, for the club. Yeah, for Baca. Yeah. That's all it was meant to be. And at a certain point, they were like, well, okay. At a certain point, I, because I started I there. the convention now. <laughs> yeah, like at, in, at Animathon, I went to Animathon 4, and then I, uh, that was just prior before we, I was starting my uh, university. It was weirdly my first year as well, though we didn't know each other at the no, time. No, we didn't. And and then in, at Animathon, like, I showed up to the club uh, after Animathon 4 was over when school started, and we got talking a bit to somebody and like, you should come to help out at Animathon. I'm like, okay, fine. And I showed up and said, hey, so 
what what are your we talked a lot about like programming and stuff like that. I'm like, what are you guys doing for outreach? And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, what what are you doing like like getting a hold of people, like telling people this thing's happening? It's like, oh well, we hang up some posters and stuff. I'm like, you you don't have a PR <laughs> thing at all? And they're like, no, we just hang up some posters and and you know everyone just knows, so they just all show up. And I'm like, oh buddy, no. <laughs> and so I was immediately made director of public relations <laughs> on like my third meeting there and. And um, we doubled, I think, in over the next couple of years, we doubled our attendance because we were now reaching out to the media and stuff. Mm-hmm. And and just that, getting on TV was enough to get some people out. Yeah, get in the newspaper, get on TV, you know, get all these write-ups and stuff. It was just enough to to tell people there's this thing happening. But we never wanted to stray from a bunch of viewing rooms showing stuff that you can't get, like showing a lot of fan sub stuff because there we didn't we weren't going to infringe on anybody's IP. Like we didn't want to start showing stuff that was like. You know, for private viewing only kind of deal. There was a time when we didn't care. Yeah, exactly. But, but it was really like, let's start showing more fan sub stuff and let's try to, to show people this stuff exists. Let's really curate with our content. Let's make this into something. Hey, do you want to get into anime? Here's 17 different genres of show. Which one do you like? Here's the first four episodes of each. Yeah. And so you get, you get yourself like, uh, what was it? Like six viewing rooms, eight viewing rooms. And then eventually it was 12 viewing rooms. And it's just run that for an entire weekend and just show people stuff all the time. That's what people wanted. Then. Then we got dealers to show up. What and I like, what what I liked about Hanathon is is that it 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 grew with the audience itself. Like people don't really understand that fandom as a whole, and I mean fandom in terms of uh, uh, the whole, like uh, even sci-fi and stuff. Yeah, even sci-fi and comics wasn't really a thing in Alberta and even Edmonton. You could you'd have a uh, a Star Trek convention that would roll through town. There was a Comic Con yep. every so often, but those were their own things. Those, those those had set ideas of what it was to be a Star Trek convention, to be a comic book convention, and you people knew where they were. People went to them. Yeah, uh, we were still figuring. You know, what do people want? Well, I guess they want to buy things. Well, we'll put up the dealer's room. Well, I got a bunch of anime stuff that I that I think is pretty cool. Let's have a viewing room of yeah. collections. Yeah, you can actually show off your stuff that you own. Which I think actually is a, something that should come back, given uh, how old some of this stuff is getting now. Yeah. yeah. We, and I, it, I, it kind of speaks to how dedicated to that idea the con was for so long, because even by the time I started going, which was Animathon 8 in 2001, I still got the impression that that was the focus. Was there was a lot of focus on the viewing tracks and the different genres you could see, and there was like a lot of hype around like that what, what was it like an mstk 3k room or something or it was like a mystery box room is what it was like yeah here, watch all this random oh my god you won't believe this kind of stuff i, I think this is probably a good time to get into this but uh, one of my favorite things to tell people about animathon because it's unthinkable in 2019 is that we didn't have any official cosplay event or even recognition of yeah, it. Yeah, I was just reading that I'd like, again, going through the Wayback Machine, there's an archived review of Animathon 8 written by Dan Ross. Yep. And it talking was- about this newfangled thing called a cosplay contest. And we were aware of what cosplay was because, you know, we, we had an idea of, of Japanese fandom. We knew the concept of cosplay, but we had no idea that people in North America want or in, in our community or in our area wanted to do it. We had heated discussions at meetings yeah. about whether or not we should fund a cosplay contest. And I love how we solved that because what we did. So here's a, the behind the scenes stuff is we said, OK, so not everyone's committed to the idea of cosplay, but people seem to want this. Uh, and so what we brought to the table was. We'll do a cosplay contest. Anybody who wants to participate has to put in five bucks to actually buy a ticket to show their serious to, to do it. So it's like, if you want to participate, we'll do that. It was held in the, uh, the walkway 
that was that overlooked. You have to kind of have a look at what Grant McEwen College or now it's McEwen University. It was a hallway. Yeah, but it was a, it was a hallway that we could that had like a little cutout, like a little bow out that bowed into uh, the the main um, uh, lunch area. Mm-hmm. And so it was kind of a pseudo stage. And we're like, well, we'll just have that. We'll just allocate that space at this time for this thing. People can participate if they want. We will have judges. And we'll leave that all to, I think it was Manny at the time, mm-hmm. Manny Ross, yeah, who was I remember organizing this, that. I remember this very well because I participated in that contest in my first couple <laughs> ones. Yeah. I, I showed up my first animathon cosplaying as Ed from Cowboy Bebop, and nice. I remember walking out on that stage and having a grand old time doing whatever nonsense I was doing at the time. <laughs> and I, I remember Manny helping in, in my second one, at least, in the back rooms and whatnot before going out onto the stage. And it's it was such a thing where we were like doing it that year and proving that this was because at that point it was like it seemed like one in every three people was cosplaying. Mm-hmm. And at that point we were like, can we make this work? We did. And we're like, OK, we made it work now. Now we have to have a real spot for this next year. Mm-hmm. People want this. And that's what, how we did it. We basically tried to make everything. It was free to get in, but we were trying to charge for things that we saw as like premium content because we're like, that's how we'll pay for the space to be able to hold the premium stuff in the first place. Yeah, because at the time we knew that if we started charging $80 just to get in, this was not going to be a, conven- uh, a, a an event that would repeat itself. Yeah, no one was going to come to that. Yeah, it always baffled me for the longest time that like other conventions in other parts of the country and continent were much more expensive than what I was used to something like Animathon being like a really cheap nominal fee plus a donation to the food bank. It was always the, we pay, we charged the dealers to have tables mm-hmm. and then that way the deal, what the dealers were being charged for was what went into paying for the venue. Mm-hmm. And at a certain point we realized we were getting too big and couldn't keep doing that. Oh, that's the, the dealer's room itself is another, I don't want to get right into the dealer's room already. But oh, but we have stories. The oh, stuff we got away with. Gosh. <laughs> again, again, starting off with, uh, you know, in seven, having the dealer's room, again, just being a hallway in a, in a college with these, uh, these bags. Yeah, it was just like walled wow, off with like screens and whatnot in yeah. the lunch area. Yeah, it's just what you did, right? You're like, this is where you walk around. And then eventually moving it to a, uh, to a cafeteria with a, a countdown to enter the dealer room followed by a stampede, which in retrospect seems like a very big health and safety violation. The second year we did that, we realized we're not doing that anymore. <laughs> yeah. We were like, oh god, that's a terrible idea. And then eventually moving the dealers down into the basement. Okay, so that's actually, Jesse, do you Not even I, the basement. Can we tell that story? Go Do you mind it. if I tell a story? Okay, so it. so what happened was uh, it was like Animathon Nine or something like that, um, where we were we had been able to move the previous year. I think we'd been able to move um, the dealers' room out of the multi-purpose room, which was in the cafeteria. We moved it out of that room and moved it into a gym, and we liked it, but we didn't really fill the gym. And so the next year we're like, okay, but this year we can definitely fill the gym. And we went back to the to GMCC and said, okay, we want to rent the gym for this space. You're like. You can't because we're having the entire gym refinished because the week after you're going to be there is a volleyball tournament because it's always a volleyball tournament that splits with every oh, freaking right. anime bomb. It's always a volleyball tournament. <laughs> every anime con in Alberta always ends up splitting with a volleyball tournament. And so we're like, uh, we have no place to put all of these things. Like we have no place to put them. Like there must be some place we can, we can deal with this. And they're like, okay, um, we'll give you the parkade. And they had a parkade, the underground parking under how, GMCC is spread out over four city blocks. It's a very long thing in the middle of downtown Edmonton. And so they had a parkade that went under two of those city blocks. It's just one floor down. And they said, we'll give you one half of that parkade. What do you think? And we were like, 
well, what choice do we have? So we rented the parkade, but it was brilliant because it meant that dealers could drive their stuff in downstairs, park their cars and unload directly to the tables if they wanted to. They just park on the other side of the parkade. And we had, we could control access to the dealer's room, uh, which, which helped us because we were letting people in for free to go to the viewing rooms and some of the other stuff. But in order to make money to pay for that space, we started charging for access to anything above just viewing rooms. Mm-hmm. So it was a $10 ticket. So you could get in to go to the, to go to the vendors, to go to like the cosplay and stuff to like a lot of things that year was all like spend 10 bucks and get in to do that. And the parkade, we like, we thought we'll do this one year and it'll be done. We did it the one year and we're like, this works so well for crowd control <laughs> and it gets half of the crowd out of the, out of the hallways because the hallways were always packed. It gets them downstairs doing something else and, and removes all that heat and all that congestion. It was a brilliant idea. Yeah, really the only drawback was it smelled like cars. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It had, it had a really good early, like late 80s uh, cyberpunk aesthetic to it. It kind of did. No, like, it was very like, I, I back alley market. Yeah. This is the thing about running a convention in a university is that you never know where to, there's never a good place to put the dealer's hall. You have to, you have to think outside the box. Yeah, like AE that one year, uh, they couldn't get a dealer's hall together, so they had to hold that, it in five one, different that classrooms. That one year? That one year? <laughs> oh, well, okay. The one year I remember being there, they had it in five different classrooms. So That's yeah. how they I think did I vaguely it. remember that, something That's how like Anime that. Evolution did it for the majority of the time they were running at it. Oh. They could never secure uh, an actual place. I think one time they had it winding through the Maggie Benston Center <laughs> with, with a third of it outside, and they had to put fencing around the dealers that were outside and just leave that stuff overnight. Oh my. Uh, and yeah. And then, and most of the time it was weaving through classrooms. They, they, they couldn't just get a gym or anything to, to put it in. Yeah. Which um, was weird to me, but I mean, I guess that's how Simon Fraser university was all spread out at the time. So, uh, you know what? Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> sure. Um, okay. <laughs> different episode. It, it, it is interesting how anime thon just kind of, the impression I get is that it really grew into, a stand what what had become a standard anime convention in so many in so many ways, even though there was resistance towards doing that, and it's now kind of in retrospect it's seen as has having having it's seen as having been an anime convention all along, despite the fact that a lot of people didn't want it to be an anime convention during many of those years. Is that accurate? I mean, I just wanted to attract like five thousand people to come and hang out on my birthday. Yeah. That's all I wanted. Yeah. <laughs> You did a bang-up job there. Yeah, like every year, Animathon was just right on around my birthday, and I was like, I'm going to have a birthday party with 5,000 of my closest friends one day. It's going to be great. <laughs> I, I just wanted it to become a normal thing, and I yeah. think it finally did. Oh, yeah. And with um, guests as well, you mentioned that it was after Anime Evolution started that you began bringing in voice actor guests from Vancouver. Um, so were guests not really a thing until... After 2002, we had locals. Yeah, we had a few locals, and we, we we tried to get in. We always thought of guests as being sort of a pie in the sky thing. Like we yeah. we, we, we wanted to get in what we could, so we would bring in you know the Taiko, uh, Taiko, uh, not Taiko no Tatsujin. Oh, that, yeah, That's they, a different they thing. Kita cool. no Taiko. Yeah. Kita no Taiko was a local Taiko drumming yeah. band. And then we got involved with the uh, the Japanese consulate as well as well, and we'd have some Ikebono uh, demonstrations. Other, other cultural aspects, but actually bringing people in from Japan or from the industry in North America was uh, was 
like the, the question was, how did you do that? Yeah, that know. was my reaction when it finally started happening. It's like, it's wild to, to think that this con actually had the resources to bring someone like that in. But it wasn't even the resources that I think that really killed us. Like we knew at the time when we weren't making money that it was always a break-even proposition. Like when we when we became a nonprofit society about Anime Thon six or seven, mm-hmm. uh, which was way better, I think, becoming a nonprofit society than becoming a company. Oh, it very much saved us. Yeah, it helped us a lot because they were willing to be way more lenient on us about a lot of things because we were still just a society. But when we did that, we were like, this is a break-even event. If we come out a thousand dollars ahead, great, because we're going to pour that back in next year for something else. Mm-hmm. And resources like money wasn't really an issue as we started to grow. We're like, maybe we can find money. It was how do we do it? Like, it, where do where does all this come from? It was logistics. It was how do you contact these people? Is is there a uh, someone to speak to? What's the procedure with this? And on the on the other end, uh, from the perspective of people in the industry, there's the question of why do I even want to be going to these conventions? Why do people want me to come? And I don't think that we actually had an idea in the industry, but much like what Beatrice was saying earlier about the people uh, going down to the States for the first time from Japan, not having no idea why people would want to talk to them. Yeah. And I think it's only recently with uh, with, with groups like uh, J-Rock North and, and others that make it a lot easier for these conventions and these uh, these smaller groups to actually talk directly to the, uh, the these these personalities yeah like you don't know who to contact for agents i mean back then the internet was not not everything was on the internet so you couldn't just look up and say who represents this person mm-hmm. how do i get in contact with them uh what who do you bring in is another thing right like uh the year that we brought in um god we brought in we brought in kirby morrow we brought in rob bakewell we brought in uh paul and brian dobson yeah uh like uh, when we were bringing these guys in, it was just kind of on the, the, the faith that, cause I met them at AE that they'd enjoy wanting to come out and see us there. But it felt really like, there's no way I would have known to contact the Ocean Group, which is who they were all working for, mm-hmm. and say, hey, we want to bring you out. Like, I would have had no information on how to do that. I think there was also a bit of prejudice going on, too, in the in terms of the planning committee, not really recognizing dubs as a thing worth doing. I was definitely on that side. I was <laughs> like, I don't because, give a crap about dubs, so... Yeah, but they weren't going out of their way to get any guests from Japan. In fact, I don't think you had... did. It was t- 2013 about when you first start the con first started getting guests from Japan. Is that and right? 2013, 2014. I think yes. about that time. I mean, let's like, take your word for I it because I was not involved. I have an unfulfilled dream from ever ever since I started working with Animathon. I wanted to bring Maya Sakamoto and or Yoko Kano in, and that's oh. never happened. We had we had <laughs> actually discussed whether it be possible to go to the Edmonton Symphony Orchestra and work something out with them, where we. We split the cost of bringing in this person, bringing in Yoko Kano to do a pops concert with them. And if they'd be willing to do it and be like, we don't, we're not interested in taking the money from the sales or anything else. Like that's not our thing. We will help get her here if that's what's necessary. If you like her music and you want to do this, we just want to have a venue in town for the concert during our event mm-hmm. so that people can come to it. They'll have to pay their own way in and we want to be able to pay our own way in and we just want to have a chance to meet this woman. That's all we would really be looking for at <laughs> yes. that point. We weren't interested in making money off the whole thing, but we never really pursued it because it was like, this seems very pie in the sky. It needs like many, many adults involved in this, and we were not well, yeah. at that level. <laughs> it needs an unknown number of extra people and an unknown number of extra dollars, neither of which we have. Yeah, exactly. I know that nobody in this podcast went to Animathon this year, but it's definitely become... Uh, 
transcended to a higher level when it comes to bringing in Japanese guests. They don't. They haven't brought in Yoko Kano. They have brought in Yoko Ishida, who uh, yeah. the, vocal, oh. the vocalist for the Evangelion opening. Yeah, oh. I saw that, um, and I, I really regretted not going this year. I just unfortunately yeah. did not have a lot of time and energy to go this year. And what caught my attention was the... The, the, you know, the production staff from Sunrise who came in out of recognition of the fact that uh, the season fin- the season one finale of Gundam Iron-Blooded Orphans was set in Edmonton. Uh, oh, God. I greatly appreciated that they brought in the, uh, the, the you know, the Edmonton con got guests from uh, Sunrise to come. Yeah, they had like a, a whole rare... like, gunpla contest and everything nice. to go along with it. A was... rare acknowledgement from Sunrise of the many Canadian references that are strung through the entire Gundam franchise, and I, I can't help but wonder if we started some kind of anime event in Prince Rupert, BC, if we wanted <laughs> to come <laughs> with, um, to have some kind of celebration specifically about Amaro Ray, who, according to some sources, uh, was born in Prince Rupert, although my understanding is that it is, that is inconsistent in the Gundam canon. Um, <laughs> Also, I wish I wish that someone who had gone to that uh, event at Anime Film this year had asked them why Sunrise isn't releasing any Gundam movies in Canada. Because as terrible as Gundam NT was, uh, I still wish they had they had released it in Canadian theaters. And I hope they do that with uh, the upcoming film. It would have been nice to give my tie, even if it is for something that I wasn't exactly a fan of. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, uh, yeah. So I also wanted to bring up the topic of improv because mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> so uh, Beej, my understanding is that this is something that you were involved in in um, at some point during Animathon. Is that correct? It, okay, not just me. It was also Ian. Yep. Oh, okay. So both of you. And also Dan Ross, who I mentioned before, mm-hmm. and also Mark Nguyen, who I mentioned before. <laughs> the we were okay. So um, we were kind of at the hot center of a lot of stuff that went on in Baca during those years. We were, uh, we were either presidents or vice presidents. Think, of yeah, it. When it's, I think when this all started, you and I were vice co-vice presidents and we just spent a lot of time at the beginning of every meeting kind of goofing around in front of the audience. Yeah. Just goofing and, and, and quoting stuff from different shows or just kind of making our own stuff up and just, just kind of because it didn't matter because we were like hell we were in charge yeah. people weren't going to tell us to get off the stage while we were prepping to actually run the anime right you can't watch your anime until we t- tell you you can yeah, so we're just going to stand up here and just goof about and uh, Mark had seen this and was like he because he always wanted to start an improv troupe yeah and this was around the time when when uh, who's lined it anyway was just starting to get really big yeah exactly like it was it was clearly the British shows were playing uh, on YTV I think and mm-hmm. the yep. I think Drew Carey's thing hadn't started yet but it was mm-hmm. improv was starting to catch on as, as this mm-hmm. thing that other people were getting exposed to and so he came to us and like Hey, do you guys want to like do something funny for uh for Animathon six? I think seven? I, I think it was six, and I remember it actually happening like an hour or two before we actually were going to get on stage. Well, because we did the we did the uh, redubbing. Yes, we did that panel first, where where Dan and a couple of guys from Calgary versus you and I and somebody else. Right. And Mark hosted that, and that was a lot of fun. And we're like, and he just showed us the clips before, and so he's like, "This is what the clip's going to be, and you're just going to redub the entire clip uh, as a, as a as a goof, as and that's going to be the show." And so we did that at at, uh, at Animathon like seven or something like that, and then at like Animathon eight, he said, "Well, how'd you guys like to try actual improv games?" And we're like, oh, "Sure, what does that even mean?" And so we showed up. 
He drilled us on how these things work. Mm-hmm. And then we just, yeah, we just popped into one of the viewing rooms. It's a small classroom. You know, it's yeah. two or three I'm tiers. Pretty sure yeah. I was there for that. Yeah, 40 seats. Uh, I'm sure there's video actually. Somebody probably has video of this. And we just, we just fucked around and I don't, <laughs> but really like we had a lot of fun. Um, and after we were done the show, Mark was like, that was awesome. We should do more of this. We did well enough to think we, d- we should do yeah, it again. I can, and I can tell you the audience thought it was great because that was at the end of the day, probably one of the main things I remembered from the con and lo- was looking forward to for the next one. And then the next year, Mark was like, Hey, let's do this again. And let's have a name, and then that's where the 404s came in. That was, I think, Dan Ross's idea. Script not found. Yeah, he was just throwing out names or something, like, oh, let's just do 404s. And, like, okay, and then we, uh, Mark drew up a quick logo. It's like, that's who we are. <laughs> and then Mark was like, duh, this went really well. Let's do a show in Calgary. Let's do a show in Vancouver. Let's do a show in Seattle. Like, let's go do all these other cons, because I can talk to all these other cons. And that's how Anime Alberta and the 404s and all of the other good stuff we were doing in Alberta was kind of spreading out to other places. And then and if, eventually they also, Mark went to Toronto and started a group up in Toronto as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If anyone listening is, doesn't go to conventions or isn't familiar, the 404s are a very prominent improv group that have many chapters yes. um, across, uh, across the country. And they, they do mostly Canada and Western United States. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they've expanded to, to other conventions as well. But they're a fixture at um, a number of conventions in different in different cities, and the event that you guys described was the genesis of all of that. That's where it all started. That's, That's correct. Right. Yeah. Eventually, I mean, this this whole uh, thing got so big that the anime community was able to support two separate anime uh, improv groups. Yeah, we uh, uh, those of us in Western Canada split off from the 404s mm-hmm. uh, following a uh, falling out with the director, mm-hmm. and uh, that caused. Jesus, it caused so much drama among people whose business it certainly wasn't. Um, oh, no. it, wow, really? It people did. who have nothing to do with something getting involved in drama with something related yeah. to an anime convention. I've never heard of that before. It wasn't the fans either, which is the thing. The fans didn't care. Like they were, I think they were confused briefly, but the people who ran other events were definitely paying a lot of attention to this and were definitely feeling like, well, what do we do? What, like, what's the thing? Odafest, I thought, did a great job of, they basically just said, you guys can both come and we'll see who actually has a great turnout and see how things work out and see who we want to work with from, from that point forward. And Animathon was, for whatever reason, the first year that, cause Ian and I and basically everybody from, almost everybody from the, the 404s in the West split off and, and started our own group called Snap to Chaos Theater. And yes. yeah, and so SCT, uh, that year was stumping for a lot of work from a lot of different places. And so we just went to, um, Animathon said they'd bring us both in, but I had a real feeling from Animathon that they were not terribly impressed with the fact that we did this to them, except we're like, what did we do to you? Mm-hmm. We didn't do anything to you. And that was a very awkward couple of years. It, it really highlights that despite the, the trappings of professionalism that we all put on all these, these conventions in, in Alberta, we are still just a bunch of fans still trying to put on an event. Yeah, it's a bunch of people still, right? And, and ultimately, uh, like, so we, we stopped going to Animathon. We became, uh, we went to Odafest an awful lot. We still did a lot of conventions out on the coast. Yeah, which is actually, but I know I, I, I think I did a bunch of like joint events with you guys around that time as well, especially yes. at Odafest. Yeah, you were oh. great. You hosted anime match game for us so many times. You're really good at that. Yeah, no, that was really fun to do. I, I ran a lot of anime game shows at both Animathon and Odafest during those years, and that was the game show that we did together. 
It's a lot of fun. Did, did you want me to elaborate on more stuff or Ian to elaborate on more of that? Like, go, go, go for it. Yeah. I, I don't, <laughs> okay. anything that you guys want to, going to throw out there to help paint a, a broader picture of the improv of anime thon of how it's, you know, influenced or spread to other events. I can actually you know, talk about, <laughs> I can talk about something else actually. Yeah, I realize. Yes. Um, so there was a year, uh, like, so I left anime thon, uh, f- during anime thon 10. And then I got a call for 11 saying, hey, we've restructured everything and we, we want you to come back. And I was like, OK, cool. Um, and they had started a new group. Uh, Mark, actually, Mark Nguyen had started a new society. We dissolved the previous society. They dissolved the previous society. I had left. And the new one that they had made was called a Sapo, who is, I believe, still who runs Animathon. Am I correct? Yeah, that's my understanding. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what the Asian Society of, or the, the Alberta Society of Asian Popular Arts or something like that? That's the one I have on my resume. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and so when I came back, uh, it definitely things had changed. And I think on like my last year, which is I think Animathon 13, cause I was like, I think I'm kind of finished with doing stuff with anime anyway, like, or not with anime, but with like running a convention. And, um, so I had, said to the uh i had said to the committee i think it'd be really cool if we could try to do something like special or interesting this year because we're also getting this hotel i think for the first time uh and it was like the first time we're gonna get a hotel we're gonna have space for stuff and so i um i made a skunk works team (laughs) where i basically went on anime alberta and asked people who were in who would be interested in working on a small project within anime thon that is not anime thon but it is it is part of anime thon and it would be, you just be interested in, you just be working on that. And I don't want to talk about it in too much detail because I don't want people to get excited about a thing that may not be happening. And like eight people showed up mm-hmm. to the basement of uh, the U of A because that's where the students union building in the basement is where we, well, we always have meetings and stuff. And out of those people, we, we ended up having a Tanabata celebration. I wondered uh, if this was the thing you were talking yeah. about, because I do vaguely remember this. Yeah, and it was hard to organize, and we didn't have much of a budget, because, again, we're all working in university, uh, but we put up a few hundred dollars and tried to make a thing happen. And I don't know how successful it was or it wasn't, um, whether people really enjoyed it or not, but it seemed like something else for people to do. And But as a result of that, one of the guys who showed up to that, Brian Kennedy, um, he was like, he, we started talking more and more, and he said, you know, I never would have had an opportunity to, like, do a thing like this if you guys hadn't said you were looking for people to kind of do stuff and I want a chance to do something. Mm-hmm. And Brian's been involved with Asapa now for like over a decade. And I think he's probably been like vice chairman there or something or probably chairman at least once, but he's been super busy in, in keeping that going. Mm-hmm. And I was just always really impressed with the fact that it's like just reaching out to somebody and saying, do you want to just try doing a little thing and seeing how you do? And he enjoyed it so much that he wanted to stick around and do more. And I'm kind of proud of the fact that I was like, I was the one who kind of headhunted him in that, in that respect. <laughs> well, that, you, you bring up as well the last, one of the last things I wanted to talk about Animathon. And that was the, the fact that it has branched out from just being this singular, uh, yearly event now into the singular main event and then smaller side events on, you know, the, the winter fest, the Tanabatas, the spring festivals, things that, uh, that allow this event to keep happening throughout the year. And again, pushing on that aspect of a community within Alberta of anime and Japanese popular culture fans. It's the kind of thing that makes me wonder too, though, like with the way things have been going, if 
like I had wondered after I'd left Animathon and for the, cause we were there, I think for the 20th year, maybe, I mm-hmm. think, I can't remember. I think we decided to do that. Yeah. And, uh, this, this, the idea that they had lasted as long as they had kind of like, I even knew when, uh, Jared Samborski was, I think, chairman for Animathon. Yes. While Asapa was running it. So he wasn't chairman of Asapa, but he was chairman in Animathon. And at the, at the one he was doing, which I think was like 15 or 18 or whatever, he, got up at the very end and said to people, it's like, thank you for coming. We've had a great time putting this on for you. This is like closing ceremonies. He's like, and I need to let you know that this is probably going to be the last anime-thon. And people just kind of like, well, what? Because everybody on the committee had had a conversation. Right. And and they were like, we can't keep doing this ourselves. And so he got up there and said that, and everyone just murmurs through the crowd. And he's like, a lot of us can't keep making this happen. If you are interested in making this happen, we invite you to come talk to us and be a part of this because you can help it happen and we can keep Animathon going, but we can't make keep it going because it's just so much for the small crew of us to make happen. And I was like, oh, I guess we'll see if it happens next year or not. And it did. But that's that, that comes back to uh, the, the aspect of us making it into a society, which is something that you spearheaded as well, which saved it from being just a group of friends who would let a... If it's just a group of friends, it's going to dissolve when that group of friends goes their separate ways. Yeah. If you can codify it, if you can put your processes down on paper, it's a lot easier to have succession planning. It's a lot easier to stay its own thing. Yeah, it's, it's easier to be able to reach out to other people and say, do you want to be a part of this thing? Because you can help it continue to happen. And if you know other people who want to be a part of it, you can drag them in too. Mm-hmm. It's like it's almost like being just corporate enough is what we wanted. Yeah, <laughs> and that I, deli- I think that even delicate not, balance. Yeah, and I think even not having like gone as much as I would have liked in the past few years, I think I can say that that spirit has continued through to this day. So I think your your aspirations are being fulfilled by the the current team who's putting it on. They seem very satisfied with the work they're doing, and just even like looking at. The reactions to this most recent Animathon, I see so many like really warm comments from people saying like, Animathon is my home. I come here for all of my friends are here. This is my community. This is, uh, a, this is a, a warm coming together of people for me. That kind of thing. That's super gratifying too, because you kind of feel like in this day and age, we were really worried mm-hmm. because when you could just torrent anime, because that was before you could stream anime, you mm-hmm. were torrenting the stuff, right? So hotlining, yeah, you get a hotliner from Usenet, right? And when people were doing that, we were like, "Who's going to come for the viewing rooms?" We honestly thought, you know, is this going to kill the idea of anime clubs? Is this going to kill a group anime viewing? Yeah, why people will just get what they want and watch it at home, or they'll post on online message boards like Anime Alberta will continue, but Anime Thumb might just shrivel up and die. Mm-hmm. We were wrong. <laughs> Thankfully, yes. <laughs> yeah. It's, there's a place where people want to go to have community and it's, and conventions are a good way to do that. I'd say, mm. I, I, I like that we won. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> One thing I wanted to mention, you guys have mentioned a lot or talked a lot about the connections between Animathon and like Odafest and Anime Evolution and the other Western anime conventions. Were there any like connections with Anime North? Um, like were, were you guys in contact? Were there any like, rivalries or headbutting or I mean there's like the same loop 
there's like three provinces in the way. Like, you, you, you <laughs> yeah. have a lot of space. Yeah. Yeah. You, you mentioned earlier that it's expensive to uh, to, to to fly to is, Toronto. Is, yeah. Like just to put it in perspective for people who maybe don't want to go to Toronto. So, okay, fair. Yeah. It's cheaper to fly to Japan a lot of the time than it yeah. is to try to tr- fly to Toronto from Edmonton or Vancouver. Yeah. The most. So the most we ever did with Anime North, uh, would like. <sighs> okay. The things I've overheard was that any connection we had to Anime North was stuff that happened after Anime Thon 13. So I'm mm-hmm. going to assume probably in like okay. the 15 to like 20 years. Mm-hmm. That's probably like Anime Thon 15, Anime Thon 20 is probably when they reached out because I also noticed them showing up a lot more with booths and stuff at other events. Mm-hmm. I one year actually wanted to try to have a booth that was like Anime Thon and Oda Fest and the clubs and everybody taking over a double end cap at, um, at SacraCon in their dealer's room to be like, like put some carpet down, buy some nice ban- banners and stuff and be like, yeah. here's all these cons in driving distance. Yeah, you can get to us. We we drove here in 16 hours. You can do the same thing. You can come see us if you want to. And and yet, you know, it's like years later, over a decade and a half or whatever later, I'm going to events and I'm seeing that happen. Mm-hmm. I'm not seeing them share a lot of space sometimes, but I am seeing Animathon making outreach in other conventions. Uh, but in the early days, we weren't thinking so much about Anime North. It's, and it was only until Mark had gone out to do some work in Toronto and form an improv like branch of the 404s mm-hmm. out there. And then eventually we had, we had a meeting of the two, West meets East, West meets East in, at Anime North one year. They flew us out so we could do that. And it was super cool. And they were never going to do that yeah. again. <laughs> it's, it's almost like within Canada, there's this this rectangular wall in the middle that I'm gonna I'm gonna call Saskatchewan, that uh, <laughs> you just don't go through. You yeah, there's, that's why they call that's why the Canadian Shield starts at Winnipeg, right? It's exactly. to keep anybody from getting any further east. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, what is like? Is there a con? In, there mu- there must be a con in Saskatchewan. Yes. I know. I don't know what it is. I know no. there's one in Manitoba. Oh, Jesse, oh, yeah. nobody knows. I, yes. I, Icon, yeah, that's probably like, yeah, that's one of the major cons now. Well, it's a smaller major con, but it is one of yeah, the... Yeah, minor major. Yeah, yeah, yeah for being the only one in the market, yeah. Uh, I know Regina, I think, said that they had a con at one point, or I think Saskatoon uh, had one at one point as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's, it, but it is weird. It's weird to think that the burgeoning culture in Alberta... Like it crystallized at the right time and it just went nuts. Mm-hmm. And it was so weird that it was like, why did we get all of that? And to watch like anime evolution and to watch all those guys out there being like, we've been floundering for years trying to get cons going and, and people like the stories I heard about people like, uh, committing fraud in running their con. Mm-hmm. And then like, and I'm just like, all that stuff happening. And then hearing that happen again. And I'm like, why is this always happening? And yet in Alberta, we never really ran afoul of that kind of stuff, it seemed. Everybody was just, like, a little more amenable to, to like, we know this is happening out here. We're, we're pretty chill with it. Yeah, the worst I ever heard was, like, just run-of-the-mill, like, interpersonal drama sometimes, but nothing to really shake the foundations of a con. Yeah. 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 That That is something to be admired. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> um, all right. So, I uh, final question. I know that you've all kind of dispersed. Uh, to some extent, but uh, Aaron, I know you you mentioned you want to go back to to Animathon. Uh, what about uh, Ian and Beach? Are you guys gonna uh, return any day? Do you think or someday? 
The only, okay, the only reasons I ever went to Animathon after I stopped working for Animathon was because they were paying for me to get there to, for the 404s and for SCT. I don't remember the last time I paid for a convention ticket. Yeah. <laughs> but that said, I, I, I have in, in my head a couple of times thought, huh, you know, it would be kind of fun if we did some talks with our current uh, our, our, our current uh, employers of Loading Ready Run to see if it might be interesting to go out to Animathon put on a few of our our panels and shows, which, I mean, despite the fact that we are no longer involved in professionally the anime community, we still are involved a lot in the anime community in terms of uh, recommendations. We used to run a podcast here. Yeah, and Late Night Dub Fight got its start at OdaFest. Yes, yes. And was hugely popular at Animathon. Yeah, so for, if you're not familiar, the Late Night Dub Fight is a show that I put together for uh, uh, based off of something we did at Anime Evolution. Which was a uh, another anime dubbing thing. I, we take clips from movies, TV shows, games, strip out the dialogue, and uh, we gather some professional comedians from local areas along with people in our groups, and uh, redub them in a hilarious fashion. Yeah, we've been doing it at PAX, uh, lots of PAXs actually so mm-hmm. far, which has been a lot of fun. So it'd be fun to actually bring that back out to Animathon actually with uh, with some of the comedians we've got here and pick up some of the uh, people from Edmonton too. Yeah, I think it would be a blast actually to to make a visit back and be like, this this is our old stomping grounds. Like oh, yeah. we're the OG at this point, right? <laughs> do, do, do you think we have the clout to get? <laughs> and Mark then everyone Mir will look at you and be like, who are you again? <laughs> God, if we could land Mark Mir to be on that, that would be rad. Mm-hmm. And see what he's doing, right? I'm <laughs> oh sure he's not God. busy. He seems to be amenable to going in on things. Like he he was on a, another podcast that I listened to recently. And they they're not really a big podcast at all. Really? Yeah. Well, it gives me hope. Yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. Maybe 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 I've never looked into this, but maybe maybe we have more followers than he does at Loading Ready Run. Like, <laughs> maybe I did. I for a while when I worked at uh, I worked at a comic shop in Edmonton for a while, and it just happened to be the one that he buys his comics at. So I actually got. Like to meet and talk with him through that for a while. I went to see some of his shows that way as well. Was that that wasn't Warp One, was it? It was Warp One. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. All right. From running Animathon, I had also because I'd learned an awful lot about event management at that point. I started putting on these roll your own con talks at at different events as a way of kind of pushing this knowledge out to other people. Like, so I'd go to OdaFest or I'd go to high school cons or I'd go wherever, and I'd be talking to, like, maybe eight people in a room, but I'd be saying, this is how we do it. This is how you can think about doing it. In an hour, I'm going to talk about all these different things. And you start to see people, like, the next year, then a, a con pops up at a high school. Mm-hmm. And I hope that that's because I talked to somebody and said, this is how you can – it's possible for you to do this. Here's how you do it on the cheap. It wasn't even anime-focused. It was – this is just you want to form a convention about something you love? Yeah, here's all the here's things you got to think about. I'll send you my notes. You can start your own thing. One of the things I had to point out to people, though, was, like, don't start telling – vendors they can't sell something like if you've got a if you've got a manga vendor don't tell all the other vendors that they can't bring manga like it's not your job to police that because there was a discussion i think we had at the animathon table one time where we're like so what do we do about this and it's like you just let them sell their stuff you just tell them no hentai no bootlegs and let them sell their stuff (laughs) before we wrap up i just want to like we haven't really talked much about the the attendee perspective. We've, we've done a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff, which is great. But I think my experience, even though I've done a lot of um, panels and game shows and whatnot at Animathon over the years, has mainly been more on the attendee side. Um, so I, would, I wouldn't mind talking a little bit about that kind of thing. I'd love to hear that. Personally. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I can tell, like, just from having been in recent years to the new Shaw Conference Center venue, like maybe once or twice, that the the vibe from Grant McEwen versus the Shaw Conference Center. Um, while 
Well, what I said earlier is accurate. Like the, the, the gathering of people is still the same. There's still that nostalgic feeling of like everybody's here for a 5,000 person birthday party. I guess it's a 10,000 person birthday party at this point. Um, but there's a real lack of green space, I think is one of the things I always felt was a draw for me for going to Animathon in the early years was there's a lot of at Grant Mac, there's a lot of like grassy areas in between the buildings where cosplayers would gather and hang out and just have basically like little picnics with each other. Um, a lot of socializing, just kind of outdoors on the campus. It was very sort of like, it, it seemed like a very social heavy con I felt like, and that was how it was um, easy to network with a lot of people, kind of the way that you guys did. I did a lot of networking kind of within other types of communities. There was uh, some cosplay people I ended up getting to know. I ended up doing stuff with the Gothic Lolita community for a while. And we did like meetups and dress up days and going around Edmonton to different venues as Gothic Lolita groups, <laughs> which was fun to get involved in. But Animathon and Odafest were always like really great homes for that kind of thing. Very welcoming to like cosplayers and, uh, and all, <laughs> all sorts of wacky fandom groups, I guess you'd call them. <laughs> Um, and I think nowadays there's certainly an, a lot of that with the the rise of the the idol dance groups that you see a lot nowadays. I, I'm not sure how common they are at other conventions, but they certainly seem to be very prevalent at uh, Alberta conventions now is the like your your love live cover groups and whatnot doing dancing and uh, lip syncing to popular idol songs and having full on idol concerts is always kind of fun to see happen. Um it's also really interesting. You bring that up. It's also interesting to see that meld with what we've cons- what I've been starting to call the North American maid cafe culture. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like that's I I noticed the rise of that throughout my time as well. Noticing like, hey, let's do a maid cafe one year, and it's kind of kind of small and kind of janky, but they did it. And then let's let's do it again, and then let's add a butler cafe, and then let's have more than one maid cafe. I think or but something. This- but this wonderful take on it that is so completely different. It's taking some of the visual trappings from the Japanese idea of a maid cafe, but then making it into something its own and I, I guess a little bit more woke too. Mm-hmm. So, something not run by the Yakuza. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It makes a big difference. It really does. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, th- I, I don't know if I really had a point to all that rambling other than just like the way I've always perceived Animathon is as, uh, First and foremost, a, uh, like a, a communal gathering, just like a, like a casual social thing. And I think it still maintains that spirit at the Shaw Conference Center. It just feels a little bit more hemmed in, I guess, is the sense that I got from it at that venue. Because, um, if you haven't been to the Shaw Conference Center, it's kind of built into the side of a hill. So it's kind of slanted downwards. Mm-hmm. And the whole thing feels very vertical. <laughs> So on the one hand, that improves foot travel. One of the problems with Grand Mac was always that you had to walk four city blocks to get to the other end of the con if you wanted to do an event at two different ends of the convention, a conference center, just get on a few elevators and go up. Um, But it also feels a little bit cramped as a result. Kind of feels like having a con on the side of a mountain. Hmm. I found that interesting because I, I would have thought that there would be uh, having access to the river valley would make uh, make outside gatherings a little bit easier. Yeah, you would think, but like most the the most accessible areas around there are the like top areas around downtown, which is all very like 
streets and concrete and buildings yep. and whatnot. And then, yeah, if you go down, you have to walk down that long hill mm-hmm. to find anything. Yeah, I see. Yeah, I, I kind of see what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, like technically there's more space, but it feels smaller, especially because there are more people there now. When they built Shaw Conference Center, that was a dream that our venue uh, organizer had. Uh, Nathan Johnson, he wanted to get us into the Shaw, mm-hmm. and he looked into it a couple years, and he was just like, "It's so expensive. We are never, ever, ever going to be able to make it into the into the Shaw." And then there, there they are. Yep, that's awesome. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I know. I've seen like a a lot of like comments online of people commenting that they're not like the ba- the greatest fans of the space, but I I think it doesn't impact their overall enjoyment of the convention because that, like I said, that spirit of the convention is still there and people still come for that. And people will find new ways to use the space too. Yeah, and I mean hell, like when I went to when we would go to like. Um, uh, anime evolution. God knows all the escalator shenanigans that must go on now. <laughs> yeah. Well, when we went to anime evolution the one year where they were at like, um, when they were at the, the at, at UBC. Oh yeah. After they left, left Simon Fraser University and then they went to like the Vancouver Conference Center downtown yes. and then went back to UBC. And I was like, thank God we came back to UBC, but you know, I really miss SFU. I, which is. A thing that an old anime fan always says. I really miss the old version yep. of this. <laughs> well, hey, guess what? Uh, the SFU Anime Club does run a one-day event in the Convocation Mall, which is uh, going to have its 10th anniversary uh, next year at the Summer Festival uh, that I started. Um, you can uh, really check that out. And, uh, you know, even if Anime-Thon has um, maybe lost some of the flavor that it once had, uh, at the university, I am hoping I can go someday um, and check it out at the, at the Shaw Conference Center. I, uh, it is a con I definitely want to go see, and um, even if things have changed a lot from from how they once were, uh, it's it's on my list for sure. Well, if you ever go, hopefully someday. If you ever go, tell him Ian sent you, and then be ready for a very blank look. Yeah, who's Ian? Be like, well, Beach sent me, and then it'll be like, that's a weird fucking name. Don't ever say that to me again. Well, you know what? If if being forgotten is the worst thing that happens, <laughs> oh my god, on an anime convention, oh, you then we can <laughs> consider yourself lucky. Then we've really won. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so I think uh, we're gonna wrap up there. Can you all let the audience know where they can find you on social media or online? Uh, yeah, you can find. I'm so I'm Brendan Beejdiri again. You can find me. Uh, I'm at Beej at Octodon social. If you use Mastodon at all. <laughs> Nobody does. Uh, but you can also find me doing my thing at LoadingReadyRun.com. Uh, Loading Ready Run's a uh, online comedy troupe. We've been doing it for like 16 years now. Um, I haven't been with them for 16 years. Uh, but we're based in Victoria, British Columbia, and we absolutely love going and doing stuff and, and putting on great shows and stuff for you. You can find us uh, there and on Twitch and on YouTube. Just always search for Loading Ready Run. You can find me on Loading Ready Run as well, and you can find all everything else I do, which is currently streaming Yakuza and, of course, the late-night dub fight over at T-I-L-T-Y dot H-O-U-S-E. That's Tilty dot house. I guarantee you that is a valid URL. <laughs> and once again, I'm Aaron Cerise on YouTube and on Twitter. That's E-R-Y-N-C-E-R-I-S-E. And you can watch Maho Profile on my YouTube channel. Please do. Oh, Even though I only put out an episode once every three or four months. Absolutely. It's better than that. Team Four Star has done, I think. <laughs> 
And uh, thank you for listening to Zon in Canada. You can find me on Twitter at jbetteridge or email zonincanada at gmail.com. Uh, the theme song is by Ultra Kleistron. You can find it on his album Packet Flood at ultraclystron.com. If you know anyone who might be interested in this podcast, please recommend it to them. See you again.